It's a fireside chat today, ladies and gentlemen. Today, as I sit here from my vantage point high atop Newark, downtown Newark, New Jersey, I'm looking at a New York City skyline, a crisp fall evening, new skyscrapers aglow, trains come in and out from Newark Penn Station, planes fly in and out from Newark Liberty International Airport. And I had to sit here and have another episode of Logic and Larry because of all the craziness and terribleness that's occurring in our world today and all the vehement back and forth on social media and the dialogue and how it is and why it is. I could not stay silent and I thought the proper medium was this podcast, which many of you have come to know as a place for logic, intellectual freedom, and comfort in times of strife and intense dialogue that doesn't have much of opportunity for the exchange of ideas. You come here and you sip your drink of choice or your coffee or you take a pull of your cigar, whatever it is that you do, and you sit and you listen to what I have to say, which is balanced and objective and informative I'd like to think so here I am everything I say on this podcast is strictly my own private opinion as a private citizen nothing I say on this podcast in any way reflects the opinion of any other person or any other entity I do not speak to you in any sort of official capacity whatsoever this is simply my personal opinions as a private citizen And these are issues that are of public concern. It's a crisp fall October night and I do love the fall and usually autumn brings me a lot of joy because I can immerse myself in football and I can immerse myself in things other than that which vexes my mind. But that was not to be this October. We have strife in Washington, D.C., what's on most people's mind. We have strife in the Middle East once again in the country of Israel. And we're going to discuss this a bunch. Now, first of all, this show and myself as an individual condemns the actions of the terrorist group Hamas. We condemn the acts of atrocity and violence perpetrated amongst civilians in Israel. We condemn the massacres and making a public spectacle of massacres of the Israeli people. We stand with Israeli civilians. We stand with people of Jewish faith who feel Solidarity with these individuals, some of whom have family in Israel. We also stand with Palestinian civilians who are caught in the crossfire. We stand with masses of refugees who do not have a place to call home, who are caught in this endless strife. A strife created by political movements and political entities beyond their control and we find ourselves here trying to sort out the aftermath 
of geopolitical strife. What else is new? The war rages on in Ukraine. Atrocities rage on in Haiti. Atrocities rage on in Africa. Atrocities rage on in the United States of America. We stand in solidarity with the suffering who don't have the power to change their situation, but are victims of harsh, tragic, and egregious circumstance. Now, here's the issue that I see as a point of contention currently in the dialogue as it pertains to these things, right? You have people coming out saying that they stand with Hamas, they stand with Palestinians, and they stand against the nation of Israel because they say the nation of Israel has committed atrocities and the nation of Israel is an imperialistic state. In fact, if you don't recall, relatively recently, or maybe a few years ago, I had a lot of discussion on this show and in general on social media when various individuals in the United States Congress, mostly of the what they call now the woke brigade, and I understand that that term has many meanings and it's been commandeered and et cetera, et cetera, but that's what, you know, a common term, we all know what I'm talking about, the AOC contingent of Congress. One of them came out and said that Israel was an apartheid state. And I thought it was an interesting generalization. I thought it was an interesting term to apply to a region that really wasn't the same necessarily as South Africa when it did have apartheid. But you have a contingent of mostly people in this country on the left wing of the political spectrum, as we understand and comprehend it anyway, and various constituencies within that leftist constituency of this country have come out and really offended a lot of Jewish people because it seems as though they are taking the side of Hamas as they commit these unspeakable atrocities in Israel. And it's really disheartening to see you had a, a contingent of the Black Lives Matter movement in Chicago come out and essentially condone the attacks. So I hear from the reporting. You have people speaking up in pro-Palestinian ways. And then you have a lot of people who are saying, if you don't say anything at all on behalf of Israel, if you have any opinion or you dare say the situation is nuanced, you're anti-Semitic, you don't have a place at the table, you're a terrible person. Well, one thing that I like to, that I, that I live by on this podcast, not like to do, I live by on this podcast, what this podcast is about is intellectual freedom and the ability to exchange ideas and have open dialogue. I can't stand, I cannot stand the appeal to emotion that shuts down a discussion before it can even take root. I don't like the intellectual and, you know, emotional bullying that takes root. It's no different than the intellectual and emotional bullying that took root and takes root when we discuss different police shootings and different issues such as that. We are allowed to discuss facts. We are allowed to discuss causes. We are allowed to discuss the nuanced geopolitical situations as they exist and part of the reasons that they precipitate the terrible violence that we see across the globe. 
and having those discussions should not be shut down with intellectual and emotional bullying. So we will not have that anywhere near me or my show. Now, the issue here, and I'm not going to get into the, well, you know what, I, I can do it very quickly. During World War I, France and Britain controlled various different areas of the Middle East. So did Italy to some extent and other European powers. And when they were going to war in World War I, they made a bunch of promises to a bunch of different people. They promised uh, Jewish people who wanted to reclaim Israel and establish a, an official Jewish homeland and nation state that they could have a portion of uh, the land there to make into Israel. They promised Arabic peoples and Muslims that they would have full control over the Arabian Peninsula and own every part of it. And they promised each other that they would simply split it up and continue to imperialize it after the war. There were issues tied to the Balfour Declaration that occurred in the early 20th century. Certain... Now that area in question is a sacred area to you know all three major religions all three major monotheistic religions and christians jews and muslims all lived in that region kind of scattered but it wasn't necessarily organized into neat little nation states the way we in the west like to perceive the globe right and so there was certainly a movement of jewish settlers who wanted to create this nation of Israel who believed in it strongly and who thought they were promised it by the powers that be and thought that that was their right to have it. There were Muslim entities which were vehemently against this and then there were the countries in Europe and in the West who didn't really care one way or the other but were trying to sort through it and also commandeer and utilize it for their own purposes, right? So subsequent to World War One, there were groups such as the Stern Gang and other groups, some of them militant, some of them purely uh, political, but there were pro-Israeli Jewish groups. Uh, they perpetrated different acts to try to say, you know, to try to force the hand of Britain to establish the nation of Israel. There was the bombing at the King David Hotel. There were a lot of incidences all over the place, and there were, you know, seriously militant fighters that were pro-Israel uh, in the region trying to force the hand of England and there were of course uh, vehement pro-militant uh, Muslim groups who didn't want there to be a Jewish state established there. World War II happens. We all know that the Holocaust happened. Unspeakable atrocities were committed across Europe against Jewish people. And subsequent to World War II, again, this issue came up and the question got punted to the United States, who was the new world power. Will there be a Jewish homeland? Will the world establish a nation of Israel, a place of refuge for the persecuted Jewish people? And I actually did quite an extensive report in my undergraduate studies on the um, creation of Israel and, and, and the involvement of the United States and the United Nations in that structure. And I got to read a lot of entries, personal entries by Harry Truman and discussions in political circles from the time and became well-versed in the situation. Nonetheless, at the end of it, 
the nation of Israel was established for the Jewish people. And it was established as part of the area there, but there was still uh, a place for Palestinians and there was still um, other land, some of that current disputed land in that region. And I apologize that I'm not more specific. I don't have the reference guide in front of me. I'm talking completely off the top of my head and looking out at this beautiful skyline with this classical piano in my in the background. So excuse me if I'm not as specific and correct me and reach out to me if I'm wrong on anything. But this is the general gist of the situation. There was still room for Palestinians and other people. However, upon the creation of Israel, Virtually every country around Israel, many of them Muslim states, decided they didn't want and didn't like that Israel had been established. And so they attacked Israel from all sides. And when they attacked Israel from all sides, various countries participated in this. Israel fought back and the thing was Israel won. They won the war. You had the six day war. You had these wars. Israel won the wars. And when they won the wars, they not only pushed the countries out that were attacking them, but they took land from them and they took land around Israel away. And they said, we need this land. This is now our land. We're not backing down and we need this land as a buffer. This is a buffer between us and these countries hostile to our existence. And they created this buffer. And the Palestinian people who had lived in Israel or lived in those surrounding areas then became refugees because they didn't have a homeland. They were occupied territories around Israel and then there was Israel itself. Now, it's important to understand that Israel, while it is a Jewish state, and in some ways you could almost call it a Jewish theocracy in some ways... It is still a free country for all intents and purposes, right? It is a democracy and freedom of religion is observed in Israel. So it's not as if people were necessarily being persecuted for their religious beliefs within the borders of Israel. But people may still feel persecuted if that was their homeland or if the land that had been occupied was now, I mean, now occupied by Israel. So decades go by and by and by and by, and we still find ourselves in a situation where there is disputed territories around Israel, and there are Palestinians who feel displaced or are displaced. And there are, there are humanitarian crises amongst the Palestinian people because of some of these issues, and those issues are well documented. And so there are people on the left politically and people in general who are against imperialism and understand that, you know, post-World War II international law essentially prohibits imperialism or the invasion and uh, accumulation of territories that do not belong to somebody. Hence why we have such a vehement reaction to Russia invading the sovereign nation of Ukraine. It's similar. It's against international law, right? But then you have Israeli people who say, look, these countries around us and various, you know, groups and constituencies within the surrounding area is hostile to our very existence and wants to wipe us out. And so we need to maintain this buffer zone and we need these territories because it's part of our existence and we're realists and we're not idealists and we can't 
ever function without it because we don't trust anybody not to attack us. Now, there are various people and various administrations in this country have tried to come to a solution and negotiate a peace amongst these countries. And many have called for a two-state solution. A two-state solution would establish a nation of Palestine alongside a nation of Israel, and they would coexist and exist in peace. The problem is certain Israeli regimes and administrations don't want to participate in that. They don't want to concede any ground. But on the other hand, certain Palestinian uh, constituencies and administrations and leadership groups do not believe that they should have to split up anything with Israel and that Israel should not exist and doesn't have a right to exist. But further, what's even more complicated when you get into the nitty gritty is that the if you were to have a two-state solution, what would constitute each state? Who gets which sacred site? Who gets which, you know, wing of the sacred city, etc., 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 and on and on we go. And we have this conflict, mostly based on ancient, sacred, you know, buildings and grounds and things. And I understand the, the importance of history and sacred structures because I think certain structures even in the United States not in a religious sense but in a historical sense are valuable one of the ways people destroy others like for instance it happened it with Isis they destroy historical landmarks they destroy invaluable artifacts and it's a way to erase somebody's history or, or erase them off the earth So I understand the, uh, the desire to preserve things, but this is, this is largely what a lot of this is, is based on. Now, what's going on currently and more recently in this region is Benjamin Netanyahu. Now, this is a guy who was uninvited by President Obama, but came to speak to the United States Congress on his own. A man who is under indictment and investigation in his country of, of Israel for various issues concerning corruption. A man who formed a coalition, a far-right coalition, which abolished recently a lot of the power that the courts have over the legislature and executive branch in Israel. And a man who has long been somebody who was very pro-militant, pro-aggressive military action and very pro-settlement. What do I mean by settlement? Well, there's disputed areas around Israel. These are these areas we're talking about, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank. And there are many groups of people, including normally, as I understand it, the Biden administration and other administrations who don't think Israel should be settling its people in these disputed lands because those lands are disputed after all they are not necessarily supposed to be part of Israel according to many in the international community and therefore settling them and annexing them in that way is not a good idea but Benjamin Netanyahu being of the political persuasion that he is has ramped up settlement in these areas at a very quick pace in fact, in June, there was an article, I believe it was in the New York Times, which laid out the fact and, and discussed the fact and reported on the fact that Netanyahu was approving record numbers of applications for settlement in these territories. This was just this past June. 
that the Biden administration was not happy about it, that there was indicia, indications that this type of rapid settlement and this ramp up in the settlement of people would cause and could cause violence. This was happening. Now, this doesn't excuse anything Hamas is doing. And the blatant attack, terrorism is what Hamas is, is, is doing here. They're, they're acting as terrorists. They're not fighting wars and civilians getting caught in the crossfire. They are intentionally killing civilians in a brutal and public manner in order to accomplish a political end, which is the definition of terrorism. It's terrorizing a people to get a political end. It's not conventional warfare. So explaining what might have precipitated the conflict is not to condone terrorism, but it is to understand where it comes from. I'm looking at the New York City skyline. All of us condemned and continue to condemn the atrocities, the disgusting events of 9-11. And I'm glad that they killed Osama bin Laden and I'm glad that they hunted down and prisoned or killed every last one of the terrorists who was involved in the attacks of 9-11. That being said, I can also have a discussion about what those people believed they were doing and why they did it. And why they hit the World Trade Center in particular. They could have picked any number of buildings. Yes, there are iconic buildings in the United States, but they picked them for a reason. They picked the World Trade Center because of what it represented. The World Trade Center, world trade, neoliberalism, the opening of borders to commerce, the westernization of the world. Those people under Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda thought and, and via their philosophy, the West was imperializing them. They were sick of being imperialized and exploited. And the World Trade Center was the symbol of that export to exporting of Western culture, that imperialization of the world, that exploiting of resources around the world that the West was engaged in. So they attacked the Twin Towers, the World Trade Center, the epicenter of neoliberal open borders, worldwide capitalism. That's what they attacked. That's why they attacked it. Back in the days of the frontier and manifest destiny in the United States, what was the United States doing? The United States was settling land, settling land. In fact, giving away free and inexpensive land to any new immigrant group or anybody in the East that wanted to expand West and put down roots and take care of the land and occupy the land. And what happened? Oft times, sometimes, Many times they were massacred by Native Americans. They would raid family homes. They would scalp them. They would kill them, men, women, and children. And the Americans would do the same to the Native Americans. They'd raid the camps and sometimes they'd slaughter Native Americans, men, women, and children. Because it was a dispute over land, a dispute over culture, a dispute over who continues to exist and who does not. 
There is genocide, atrocities, child rape that I've read about in Africa, in Somalia, the Ugandan genocide, the Serbian genocide. In Haiti, women are being raped en masse by different bands of political and gang groups. In Mexico, whoever controls the border where the drug trade that the United States, people of the United States fuel, people are raped and mutilated and put on display to scare other people. I'm not saying this to equate what Hamas, Hamas is doing to everything else. I'm not saying this to say no one should care, but I'm pointing out that unfortunately, human nature and the way that humans interact with each other involves atrocity and brutality and some may be of the ideological belief that you can stop all that by just being, you know, holding hands and finding some common ground. And some might be of the opinion that there is no such thing as common ground and that you must be utilitarian. You must be a realist and you must fight force with force and you must fight for your cause and your group and your way of life and your philosophy. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because you've got to fight for survival because if you don't kill them, they're going to kill you. And there's something to be said for that mentality too, isn't there? There is. But what I find interesting, and I've said it so many times on this show before, so many times on this show before, this idea that the American left has come up with, and I believe truly that they've come up with this, and more on this later, because I have a whole show planned and had a whole show planned about centrism and this and that, but this current event just came up too quickly. I had to address it. This idea of intersectionalism, which I think really, you know, there is some merit to it in an academic sense, and there is some merit to it in an intellectual sense, in an empirical sense, but there's also a lot of social capital in this idea of intersectionalism, which I've found to exist in academic circles, right? Academic circles and in leftist liberal circles, not as an academic empirical study but more so as a social facilitator, right? Because it's in vogue many times to say we are all of some sort of oppressed and marginalized group. We are all some sort of victim. And if we can find a common enemy, i.e. maybe the powerful group in a certain country, the powerful demographic, the one with the most current dominance and we can find a way to twist history and to twist current socio-political structures and certain socio-political triggers of different groups and find common ground amongst all these oppressed groups we can all break bread together and we can socially get along without shouting across the table because in reality every different group and subgroup and subculture and subset of every group of people is going to have conflicts and competing interests at some point which is why this whole idea of intersectionalism being the prevailing you know intellectual and academic theory and umbrella and school of thought the last 10 to 15 years is a bit of a misnomer this particular situation i believe is emphasizing once again once again why that intersectionalist belief system doesn't make any sense 
because you have the Black Lives Matter, a group of it in Chicago, saying things that Jewish American people find absolutely appalling, right? But when a black man is killed by police or is killed in Ahmaud Arbery's situation by just sheer racists, a lynch mob, that is how many people who look like those victims feel. They feel personally attacked. They feel personally victimized. They feel that there is a power structure in place that does not give them a voice. And some who are currently feeling the pain that's going on in Israel stand in solidarity with them. Some stay silent. Some don't take part. But some felt that there was solidarity both ways. And I remember when they were saying the Jewish people were being attacked or when Asians were being attacked. That was interesting because they tried to pin the Asian hate thing on the Trump movement. But in reality, if you look at the demographic that was mainly assaulting and fighting the Asians, it had nothing to do with the Trump demographic. Now you see that another subset of people with a subset of interests who is anti-imperialist in general, they see another group of people as imperialists themselves. And those people say, how are you calling us imperialists? You're scaring me. We are so marginalized. We are so persecuted that you calling us imperialists makes us feel more persecuted, more marginalized, more afraid. And therein lies the issue with this whole idea that there's an intersectional group of oppressed people that can find one common enemy. The truth is everybody is oppressed when they're oppressed for lack of a more eloquent way to say it. And everybody is persecuted when they're persecuted and they are the persecutor when they are persecuting. Meaning if you're a Palestinian civilian and the settlements keep going up and you're getting shelled in your town and children are dying and being taken to the hospital because a mortar hit them, you feel persecuted. You feel oppressed. When you're an Israeli family that has a baby and you, they storm your home and murder you in cold blood, you feel oppressed. And the reality is that both of those groups of people are oppressed. And they are not only oppressed by the actual physical people oppressing and harming them, but by the government BS and the immovable political strife that governs, that governs these things. And it's just a, at the end of the day. At the end of the day, this is just the way that the world keeps spinning round and round and round and round. There are groups of people, they feel solidarity with one another because they have things in common. Those are their brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and children. And there are other groups of people that have other interests. And it doesn't mean we can't get along. And it doesn't mean we can't all live diverse together, which is my vision for humanity in a secular state that is tolerant of religion, lifestyles, and beliefs, and protects the rights of private property, you know, private speech, public speech, you know, with your own ideas, whether you disagree vehemently or not is irrelevant to me. Speech should be protected. But there's always going to be competing groups and 
difficult situations and somebody is always going to be a victim of it. That's why I don't believe in any such thing as macro justice. There is no such thing as macro generalized justice because whenever you try to enact macro generalized justice, you're going to cause an injustice on some individual person. The only true justice is on a case-by-case, person-by-person, you know, fact-by-fact basis. Because there's always a truth and there's always something fair in a given situation. You'll never enact macro justice because there's always going to be individual and independent victims and oppressors within that generalization. It can't work. So now we see this strife all across America where people are coming out on one side or coming out on the other, and then anybody who says there's any kind of nuance or complexity is chastised and shouted down as not being a kind person, not being a good person, because they're not picking a side. There is no side between Hamas and the slaughtered civilians. The side is the civilians. The side is against Hamas. But there is complexity when you're talking about the Palestinian victims and the Israeli victims. There is complexity when you're talking about the geopolitical situation that has led us here. There is, and it cannot be denied, and it cannot be silenced, nor should it. Nor should it. And I've long said that there were problems with certain movements in this country. When it was certain contingents of the BLM movement, I said that some of the things that they were going toward, some of the exclusionary things being said, were not indicative of tolerant, you know, a tolerant belief system or, or a tolerant, you know, understanding and a nuanced understanding of the world around them. It was more reactive to the pain that they were feeling. But you see it now with what's going on in the strife. And there's also people who never weigh in when I post about Ugandan genocide or posted about atrocities being committed in Africa or in Haiti. They don't say a word. They're dead, silent, tight-lipped. When I discuss the atrocities that went on when Russia invaded Ukraine, executing women and children and men, taking their houses, trashing their neighborhoods, destroying them. They didn't say anything. Now all of a sudden, everybody has to speak with one voice about a given situation. No one has to speak about anything. Hopefully many do. But hopefully when many do, they're educated about what's going on and they speak from a place of knowledge, but also empathy. And it's hard to do that these days. So I hope that this conflict comes to an end for the sake of the civilians that are being killed there. But I also hope that when we move on from this, we don't just stop thinking about it and forget about it. And I hope that we look at somebody like Netanyahu and look at him and his policies and his corruption. And we criticize him and his policies. And we take into account what could happen as the result. It doesn't mean I'm condoning what the reaction to what he's doing. It means I'm critical of what he's doing because it takes some part in the situation at hand. And Israelis in Israel are protesting his actions before this even happened. So it's not just me as an outsider saying that. The people of Israel deserve a better leader. And the people in Palestine deserve much better entities than these terrorist organizations, Hamas, which are largely backed by Iran and all these other entities. 
and the people of America, I'll end with this, deserve much better leadership than somebody like Matt Gates ousting House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his position simply because he dared to work with Democrats to keep the government open and funded. But that's what Kevin McCarthy got himself into because Kevin McCarthy negotiated a deal to become Speaker of the House, which included the the provision that any one member could bring to a vote whether to oust him or not with any without any other quorum other than the people there to vote. And that was a mistake. He gave in to Matt Gates's nonsensical demands because he wanted to be speaker so bad that he backed down from principle and it wound up catching him when he had to do something for the good of the country, which was keep the country open. Matt Gates ousted him. And this is the problem with our government, too. You have a guy like Matt Gates, who's a straight up weirdo. He's a weirdo. He's a real weirdo. He represents some district in Florida, and because the people in that little district like him, he holds the power to thwart the operations of the entire country for the rest of us. It's a problem. And now these extremists ousted Kevin McCarthy, and McCarthy's part of the problem too because Dem moderate Democrats in the Problem Solvers Caucus wanted, were, were on the fence about helping and saving his speakership, and moderate Republicans in the same caucus were pleading with them to do it. But he refused to give any concessions whatsoever to those Democrats that would have saved his speakership. Because remember, all Democrats voted in solidarity to remove him. And it was only six or seven extremist Republicans that voted with the Democrats to kick him out. If the Democrats had saved him and all the rest of the Republican caucus had saved him and he had given some concessions to the Democrats and the moderates that maybe he wouldn't be held hostage with his feet to the fire by people like Gates, he might have still been speaker and it probably would have been better for the country. But he was too scared of his Trump followers and all the nonsense to have the integrity and spine to stand up to them and to do what was right so he got ousted so now steve scalise is up for the vote but they're saying they won't nominate him either because there's a vehement little faction of them that are pro jim jordan because jim jordan is a vehement trumpet trumpy who is conducting hack investigations into the DA of Fulton County, Georgia, because he's a political zealot and a lackey for Trump. And these are the people that are in power in our country, in our country. As long as the world is run by selfish, greedy, unempathetic, loose cannon, aggressive, brutal, immoral people, we will continue to see rank-and-file human beings, common citizens, abused, exploited, and brutalized by the society writ large because the society writ large is run by people who don't have any type of moral compass and I'm not talking about a religious moral compass I'm talking about a common sense empathetic moral compass we have people playing games because in their own greedy insulated worlds it makes sense but out in the street out in the world people are suffering Prodigy said it a mob deep. There's a war going on outside no man is safe from. Might even be been havoc. I don't remember.
But it's true, there's a war going on outside no man is safe from, from the initial Big Bang to the brutalities of nature, all the way to now, there's a war going on. And I know this was just kind of a open-ended rant by me this time, rather than a parsed out intellectual position that I took. But some of that just needs to be said. It needs to be said passionately and it needs to be said without necessary, you know, structure. At what point do we all wake up and stop all of a sudden being selectively outraged about this or selectively outraged about that? When do we stop being absolutists about one position or the other? When do we stop trying to fit in with the crowd and do whatever everybody else around us says, like these students at Harvard are supposed to be the biggest and brightest minds in the, in the country, in the Ivy League, and they're out here making statements, you know, condemning Israel while Israel, Israelis are being slaughtered in the streets. And I've seen some of it. It's on the internet. It's disgusting what they're doing to the Israeli people here. But you got people in Harvard making these statements because do they have to actually deal with the aftermath? Are their brothers and sisters and are their families being slaughtered in their homes? Of course not. But when they go to the bar across the street with their other leftist friends, they want to feel like they're part of the group. Where is the intellectual courage in this country? Where is the academic integrity in this country? Where is the bravery to speak your mind in an intelligent manner? Since when are we all moving in groups no better than flocks of birds? It infuriates me and it drives me mad, which is why it drives me out of the political dialogue. Because where is the place in the political dialogue for somebody like me? Where is the place in the political dialogue for people like us? Who want to operate on facts and want to empathize with the abused and call out the abusers. There is nothing wrong with having an adequate understanding of the complexities of any given situation, especially geopolitical situations. There is nothing wrong with understanding that unfortunately atrocities continue to happen and have happened across the globe for a long time. And that no one acting group at a given time is necessarily a villain or a, a victim unless you can clearly differentiate it. And anybody who terrorizes innocent people is a villain. I don't care if it was the marauding Native Americans who slaughtered settlers. I don't care if it was the Calvary who slaughtered Native Americans, if it's Hamas who's slaughtering Israelis, if it was Al-Qaeda who slaughtered Americans, they are all villains. Their cause be damned. However, you also have to understand the cause and those who are not villains slaughtering people may also be speaking up against the overall cause that's occurring. And some within those groups feel that the only way to be heard is to commit atrocities on the innocent. That's not condoning their behavior, that's understanding and attempting to further understand so we can thwart their behavior. Unless we start having these difficult conversations and really grasp the difficult philosophical context of it, we will never move on as a species and we will continue to suffer at the hands of our own. And when I say our own, I mean human beings.
Now, us in this country, we should all be grateful for the fact that we don't have to deal with that, but we shouldn't take it for granted and make general statements and grand declarations that we really don't know nothing, don't anything about. So I bid you all a very happy rest of October, although I may chime in again, you never know. I bid you the happiness in the crisp air and the pumpkins and the apple picking and the approaching holiday season because as humans we have a limited time on this planet and we need to also cherish our own blessings and all of us are blessed if we live in a country or a space where we are generally safe from those types of atrocities. And we need to also understand the responsibility we have when we are placed in such a state where we have those abilities that we should not take it for granted by failing to comprehend, speak, and have an intellectual discussion on the issues facing others. And if we do not take active roles in solving those problems, what good are we because we pontificate about it on social media? That does no good. Only action does good. And we are all in a position where we can act and we should act. But when you act, make sure it's from a place of being informed. Make sure it's from a place of truly grasping why and what it is you're acting for. I hope that this discussion touched you positively in a time of strife and confusion and anger and a lack of logic. I hope that it helped you. I hope that you'll reach out to me to further discuss it. I wish you good health. I wish your family great health. And I wish you a, an absolutely happy autumn season as it continues. This is Larry Kay signing off from high atop Newark downtown. Good night.